You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale. And if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. Welcome to this week's episode with Marlies Hardman. Now, I don't really know where to start to introduce this podcast, but Marlies has been through so much trauma in her life, um, abusive relationships, abusive childhood, very difficult times, and she still stands this day as a beautiful mum and a beautiful wife and has turned her pain into power. And I'm so excited for her to share her story with you guys so that you can share it with other people, so that you can learn some lessons from it and so that maybe you can turn your pain into power and live the life that you were truly built and meant to live as well. Welcome, Marlies. I'm so excited to have you on the She's Unshakable podcast. How are you today? I'm wonderful, and how are you? I am great. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get into your story, which I'm so excited to share with everyone, um, I would love for you to share your morning routine. If you have one, what is it that you get up to in your morning? Okay. Um... When I open up my eyes, before I even get out of the bed, I think about and verbally say very quietly three things that I'm thankful for. I think starting your day with gratitude helps you deal with whatever is going to come your way next so I say those three things, and I kind of feel them as much as say them. So if I say, I am thankful for my son Solomon, then I meditate on Solomon, try to see his face, try to feel the joy that I get when I'm around him. So I try to start in a very positive way. So then I get out of bed, and because most days I'm moving, Right when I get out of bed, I start to say to myself things that I know, affirmations. Um, I am smart. I'm intelligent. I am capable. I am wise. I can handle anything that comes my way. And my pain is my purpose. So as I'm, I may be getting my grandson who is touring dressed for school, I verbally say those things to myself so that I can hear them. Um, that's why I'm speaking them out. Um, then I, if, I'm, if I'm going to work, then I'm getting myself dressed. Um, I've already gone over my calendar the night before, so I know what I need to do. I don't look at any Facebook. I don't look at any social media. I don't even check my email until I've gotten dressed and I've gotten a cup of tea and got myself kind of meditated on, okay, breathe, anything that happens today, you can handle it. Then I'll check my email to see if I have something that I need to address right, right away. Um, if I'm in break, so that means I'm not going to school, um, I go through my calendar and I pick the three things that I know I need to do that day. And I highlighted them or put a little star beside them in my phone. So as I check throughout the day, I know I've had a successful day. If I get all three of those things done, if I get extra things done, that's great. But at <laughs> least those three. Um, and I also set a time to stop. I'm going to stop working, um, not grading any papers at 9 o'clock. Nine o'clock is shut off time. I don't care who I'm talking to. It's time for me just to shut down and to spend from nine to nine thirty, just reading a book, just relaxing. Um, 
then I start going about and I try to at least accomplish one of the star things before I um, look at a social media because I will feel proud of me and not compare myself to other people if I can at least get one thing done. So that's my morning routine. It's kind of crazy, but I try to do what's important and try to take care of myself first. I don't think it's crazy at all. I think it's great. I um, I really like that you just have that time for yourself I think it's so important our mornings are so important especially like especially if you're on holiday I mean even the fact that you have a morning routine when you're on holiday like a lot of people just kind of put their morning routine out the window um but it's such a it's such a good thing and and having your sort of like your three things that you want to accomplish that day I've been doing that with like having my my list of things to do but putting them in order of priority because it's so easy to get lost in the small things that actually aren't really pushing the needle forward or aren't really doing anything. You know you've got to do them, but you end up doing them before the big ones. Whereas actually you really need to do the big things first because that's what's going to make you feel good. That's what's going to make something actually happen. And it's so important to have that sort of idea in your head when you're waking up as well or before you go to bed either way to, you know, get you get you sort of knowing on your purpose of the day as well. I love that. So awesome. Thank you for sharing. So I would just love you just to go into your story. Um, for those of you who are listening, Marlise is writing a book, uh, which has got her story in it. And I'm so excited to read it, but I would love for you just to share, um, start wherever you want, go wherever you want with this and we'll just see where we go. Okay. Um, yeah, deep breath. <laughs> um, I grew up um, in a a in a scary to call this a traditional American home, and unfortunately, um, traditional often means there's some kind of domestic violence going on, even if it's not physical, it's verbal. So from as far back as I can remember, my father was verbally abusive to my mother. Um, He was physically abusive to my mother. Um, He never hit me. For a matter of fact, um, I was kind of like, just I learned children are to be seen and not heard. Mm. Um, And... I got through by learning that, by keep playing that role, being quiet. Um, even when I saw what was hurting my mother, not getting involved, not saying anything, just sitting back and being quiet. So that was the early, early years of our lives. And my mother, one day after my father went into a tantrum, he actually um accidentally and I and it was accidentally knocked over a table and it cut my sister's head and I think my mother flipped um you know that move that there's a show called snap <laughs> my mother snapped I've never <laughs> seen her aggressive I've never seen her yell um she's always been apologetic but when my sister's head got cut she just snapped and we I saw you know what happens when a woman has really had too much and that night we had what I want to call is the great escape um she took me and my sister in the middle of the night once my father went to sleep and we moved to the city that was probably about mm, an hour hour and a half away how old were you at this time? Um, um, I probably was six. Okay. And your sister? And my sister was eight. Okay. So, and we could only take one suitcase. For a matter of fact, I remember my mother pushing the car a block, to, block to two blocks away from her house so that 
I oh wouldn't wake goodness. up my father when the car started. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we moved when we got to Springfield, which is the town we moved to. Um, we went to live with my mother's friend and her husband, well, her family. And we went from upper middle class to poverty very quickly. Um, because my dad had his own business. It reminds me a lot of my husband had his own business, had several businesses, was very successful, very educated. Um, and we moved, my mother had no skills. And so we were impoverished. Mm. Um, and, but we were safe. Um, but I can remember never seeing my mom smile after that move because it was life was hard. Um, but we were safe, and she started going through a training program. And um, the lady that we lived with kept us, and at least it was fine until I remember my eighth birthday. On my eighth. Two days before my eighth birthday, my mother announced I was going to have a birthday party, which sounds wonderful. It was the first birthday party I had had since we moved from my father's. She informed me, you know, I couldn't invite anybody. It was just for the people who lived in the house. And, uh, but I was going to get a gift and da da da. We would eat pizza, which was really something that never happened mm. but we would get pizza and pop and i'd get my own pizza pizza and i wouldn't have to share it and there would be gifts and we'd play games so i was very excited summer birthday comes we're playing pinatello and donkey i'm excited <laughs> i'm eating my pizza uh, i opened i got my a gift and it, and everything i had when we left my father became hand-me-down and it wasn't just hand-me-down with my sister it was hand-me-down from their kids mm. to my sister to me so on my birthday I got this beautiful and I still remember the color yellow like they had those big um um satin and had a big sash on the back of it dress with white satin shoes, something I could wear to church because we did go, we still went to church. And I had a really big, pretty yellow bow to put my hair and I just <laughs> thought, this is amazing. You know, I couldn't ask for anything more. Um, one of the things that the lady that we stayed with believed in was cleanliness. You know, you might be poor, you might have to wear hand-me-down clothes, but there's no need for you not to be clean. Mm. So she's, and now, and because I was the youngest in the household, by the time I got to the tub, the water was always cold. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and it was just a fact of life. And she said, well, Lisa, it's your birthday. So we're going to let you take a bath first. So you're going to get hot water. And I thought that was just, you know, great. <laughs> So I just ran up the stairs to start my water. And being so excited, I didn't realize that I didn't lock the door to the bathroom. I had just started running the water and taking off my clothes. And I just, you know, just really happy. Mm. You know, it was my birthday. It, I was eight. You know, life was good. And I heard someone, while the water was running, turn the door handle, like trying to open the door. And I said, you know, I'm in here, I'm in here. And I can remember trying to put that, it had an old fashioned latch lock. Yeah. Not like the new one where you just push the button. You <laughs> actually have to latch the, yeah. the lock. And um, I attempted to do that, but the door, he, whoever at this point, I didn't know, was trying to get in was pushing at the door so that it wouldn't latch. And all of a sudden, the door pushed open and the force of the door made me fall. And I hit my head 
between the toilet and the tub. Um, and I can remember the smell of urine, just taking my senses. And as I try to get up, um, the husband of the woman, and I'm intentionally not trying to name names because I don't want to hurt anybody, um, came in and he, and his comment as he stooped down on the floor was now he was going to give me my real birthday gift. And he, he assaulted me. And he, when he got done, and I can remember that I just laid there. They they say you there's you fight, fight or freeze. I froze, and I just laid there. And I can remember the smell of urine taking my breath away and tears burning my face. And it's my eighth birthday. What was the What was uh, the urine from? I was beside the toilet. Right, okay, so you could so just I smell that. between the toilet and the tub. Yeah. And she had a, a son, and I'm sure as husband, somebody I evidently missed because um, I could smell urine. Mm. And um, I remember when he was all done, um, he said, if you say anything, that they, and I don't even honestly, to this day, I've thought about this several times. Who is they? They'll come and get you. Mm-hmm. I'll call your dad, and he'll take you away from your mom. You'll never, ever see her again. And knowing my father, that would have been very, 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 very true. Um, so I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I After he left, I... I like wiped off. I didn't even get in the tub because there were, um, my head was still bleeding from falling. I was literally an eight-year-old girl, so I was in a lot of pain. And so I just remember putting on my pajama shirt and going to lay down in my bed. Now, the interesting thing is we, my chair room with my mother and my sister because we stayed at their house. And um, I didn't sleep, I can't remember, just like whimpering. And my mother came in and I know now, I believe she heard me, but she never said a thing. Um, she never asked me what happened. She never, you know, um, acted like she even knew anything was wrong. And now I understand that she was victimized herself by my dad. And a victim's mentality, she chose, and it sounds horrible, I believe her safety over mine. And I used to, um, early on in, I wouldn't call it recovery, I used to blame her a lot Mm. because I felt like if she would have been a mother right then and there, she would have stopped it and maybe my life would have a different trajectory, gone a different way. But she didn't, and it went the way that it went. But now I understand that she probably didn't have the mental stability to make those kind of choices, that she was probably just hanging on. Um, But the abuse continued for two years. Um, I can remember hearing the, the mother, the lady that we lived with, and him, they would go at it, and I would hear my name. So I knew she knew. And I would hear them arguing at night. And when the arguing stopped, she got very abusive towards me because I think she couldn't stop her husband 
from doing what he was doing, and he was the breadwinner for their, you know, for their household. So she didn't want to risk him leaving. Um, but she started punishing me for things like, okay, um, if I didn't clean up my area where I was playing, she would um, make me sit in a hind catcher position. What's when that? My mother was gone, and literally, if I cried too much, she would stick right, make put rags in my mouth, oh my and tell me that a child is to be seen and not heard. Um, which I guess I kind of already knew because that's what my dad used to say all the time. Mm. Um, if I was the last one in and had my hands washed for lunch, I would not get lunch. I would have to eat the leftovers from everybody else. And she would say, like, if you want to act like a dog and not come in and take care of yourself, wash your hands, then you'll be fed like a dog. And I would literally eat the crust or whatever the, everybody else left. And no one would say anything. And, of course, you know, my mom was at work, and I never said anything to her because I figured she, I was, you know, he's sexually abusing me. You know, you know, I think you might know, and you're not saying anything. So, um, but I do know after she finished her job training, um, she got a job, and we moved to the other side of town. And like, we never saw them again. I mean, no Christmases, no birthdays, no nothing. So I think what she was trying to do was like say, now you're safe. And uh, for years, um, it was better. Um, I met some wonderful people in the midst of that, my, um, it not was she fourth grade teacher, Miss Black. I mean, God just put angels in, in my path to kind of keep me from losing my mind. Um, I met a gentleman that I started calling my papa because he was like my, truly like my godfather. I mean, he, he was a, a bishop in town. He had his own church. Uh, his son and I were really good friends, and like he would come and get me and take me to church. He would take me over to their house to eat. He truly kept me out of trouble. Like they, people got because Springfield isn't a big town. They knew, you know, like oh, that's one of those kids hanging around with his kids. So if I got in trouble, they would call him and be like, you need to come get her because she does something So, I mean, and he, he saved me a cup. I mean, he really did. He, he, he took me in like his daughter and didn't have to. Can I ask? He never, can, he never asked for anything. Can I ask yeah. you a little question? Uh-huh. How long were you at the house? With the two years. Okay. And how how many times did that man I mean it was by by the end uh before we moved, he was probably assaulting me once a week, maybe once a month. Okay. because um, it just got progressively worse. Yeah. And nothing um, was nothing was ever said by his wife or anything like that. She was just okay. She just me. I mean, I what I can put together being that young is hearing them arguing about me, then hearing the arguing stop, then feeling the abuse from her. What would the arguing be about? Would you remember? Um, I, well, and I wasn't in the room with them. Mm. I just could, could hear just my hear. name. I could hear yelling and screaming. And then I could hear my, I, Lisa, because that's the name. I, that's my, I guess, family name. So, because my name is Marlise, but everybody calls me yep. Lisa. So, um, I could hear Lisa, that, that, that. 
Lisa. And so I knew it was, I had something to do with it. Right. So I assumed that the arguing was about me. Yeah, okay. And so when this um, this bishop came into your life, did you ever did you ever just not trust men? Because that's a huge thing to happen to an eight-year-old child right. uh, um, for that length I, of time. I mean, did you get to a point where you just thought, well, maybe this is just normal, or were you like, no, this is not right? Like, what was, um, do you even remember? I like, this must be normal. Right. Other than, other than at that time here, um, I didn't, like, really trust anybody, you know, I kept my mouth shut. Um, I had some childhood friends, but no, it was like, I already knew like how far you're supposed to let people in. Mm -hmm. You know, you smile, you look happy and people will accept you for being happy. And they really don't want to know how miserable you are. Yeah. And um, so life was getting better. And um, one of the things I did to protect myself from, you know, from all of that was like, I would never, I never spent the night with anybody. I, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was out of the question yeah. um, until I think I was about 16. And um, my mom had a real good friend and it was her birthday. My mother said, would you do some, would you babysit? I know you don't like to go anywhere, but you know, it's her birthday. She needs a babysitter. Nothing will happen. You'll be fine. Da, da, da. And so with a lot of coaxing, eventually I said, okay. And when I got there, it was fine. Um, we had, you know, they bought us pizza and, so finally they went out and when they came back, I knew that sounded like she was drunk because she was singing and doing a lot of things that people usually are <laughs> drunk will do. <laughs> Having so a good time. I heard, her, I, I, I heard her go upstairs, but then a few minutes later, her husband come in and um, he didn't go upstairs. He sat in the chair across from me. Now, I'm completely dressed because I'm still very, um, I don't trust people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I didn't even take pajamas. I just kind of slept in the clothes yep. that I had on. And, um, but do you know what, what happens when you feel the hairs on the back of your head? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing it this whole chat. So yeah, I I felt like that, and it was like, okay, he says, stay away, stay away, just stay away. Okay, you just stay away, just stay away. Um, And so I did that as long as I could, and so eventually, and he never said anything, never tried anything. He was watching television. Um, like football, basketball, one of those. And I was just like, still awake, still awake. And when I fell asleep, um, I woke up and I tried to lift up because I felt a breeze actually wake me up. And um, and I'm a hard, hard sleeper. I always have been. I don't. You would think with as much misery as I've had, I wouldn't be. But I could sleep through a tornado. <laughs> Um, and so I felt a breeze and I went to lift up and I couldn't it was like something was pressing on me and I looked down and I was in like my bra and panties and my clothes were sitting on the floor Um, and so I went to get up and again I couldn't I looked up and I realized he was straddled across me and I opened my oh mouth my and, I, um, and I went to scream. I actually was trying to scream. And he shoved something in my mm. mouth and it tasted, it tasted like dirt and paper. And, uh, and then he commenced to um, 
sexually assaulted me. I mean, um, I was bleeding. Um, he, I, my chest area was bruised. I had bruises on my arm. Um, and he said, if you scream, that will be the last thing you do. And so, um, because of the first abuse, I developed a neurological disorder. That mm-hmm. literally, whenever my um, I get into anxious situations, I literally, my whole body, I can feel it going numb. And I mean, this could be spelling test. I, it would do this while I was in school trying to take a spelling test. And... So I kind of, I just, I could feel that numbness. So all I could do was cry. Um, When he finished um, and I heard him going upstairs, I remember rolling off the couch. And it was like um, rolling off the couch and crawling into their downstairs bathroom. And I took what was in my mouth out, tears still coming down, body aching. Um, And he had stuck a $20 bill in my mouth. Um, And you can't imagine what that does to your psyche. Mm -hmm. Um, I I took tissue because I didn't want to use a rag and I, you know, I wiped myself off as best as I could. I put my clothes back on and I crawled to the floor. I I didn't go back onto the couch. And I, in a fetal position, lay and cried the rest of the night. Um, when the morning came, I just said, I want to go home. Just take me home. And she was like, what's wrong with you? Nothing, just take me home. Just take me home. Um, I went home. As I, I, I call it um, my midnight hour. Um, nothing after that night tasted the same, felt the same, um, had the same meaning. I can remember going in. When I got home, going straight into the kitchen, grabbing a butcher knife, and I literally slept with that underneath my bed for, not underneath my bed, but underneath my pillow for years, not knowing if I was going to kill someone or if I was going to kill me. Mm. Um, I... If there was a self-destructive act, I tried it. Mm. Um, because my mother had raised us to be very religious. I knew if I planned it intentionally, I was probably going to go to hell. I'm, and so I would place myself in situations where basically... Um, Death could be optional. I can remember um, going somewhere with a friend of mine. We were in another town, like 45 minutes away. It was midnight. I got mad, got out of the car, and walked 45 minutes home in the middle of the night. Past cornfields. I mean, this wasn't a well-lit neighborhood. This was out in the country. Mm. Knowing that, you know, you could be snatched and you become, yeah. I, you know, I didn't hold value to my life at all yeah. until I met Mr. Freilich. And he was my senior government teacher. And he, I, he it's funny because um, he was mean and old and, oh, he was, <laughs> he was, he was a, I mean, he was a good teacher, but, you know, he would say things to, I watched him make kids cry. Yeah. But he had a schedule, like, he'd do a lecture, 
Then he got me doing activity the next day, and then he had a review, and then he had a test. Well, I found, I figured out his system, and I would come for the lecture and then come and take the test. I would skip all that time, but whenever I did show up, he never embarrassed me. He never humiliated me. In fact, he'd say things like, you know, if you actually would come to school more, you might be a teacher, you're smart, because you don't even practice this stuff, and you're getting it. And he, one day, he told me um, it would have been the quarter, my third quarter of my senior year. He says, you're going to go to college. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and he said, no, I'm going to make sure you go to college. Now, in between, kind of like some of the stuff I'm not, I had a son. And so really college to me was like, you know, that doesn't happen. How old uh, were you when you had your son? Uh, let's see, probably about 18. Okay. It was at the beginning of my freshman. I just told y'all everything that could go. I mean, I didn't hold this thing for myself. So the father was like a drug dealer. And was that, I mean, I'm curious. Like, how do you go from being sexually assaulted to having, like, a, ha, like feeling that that, that act is actually an act of love? Okay, because it's not. Right. Okay. So, can do you want to dig into that a little bit? I, I'm just. I would love oh, to. Know, like, how do you deal I, with that? It's okay because it does. It it sounds like it. It doesn't make sense. I, so I'll kind of like play my mindset. After the second assault, I I did not see myself being worth anything. Yeah, I can imagine um, that. Um, it, nothing more than an object. And what I, one of the things I did during that time was I um, used drugs. Yeah. Um, I didn't do heroin, but I did, uh, you know, marijuana and those stuff that wouldn't get me super, super addicted, but surely could have. I know it sounds crazy, but... <laughs> no, I know what you so, um, I met a gentleman who I couldn't afford to pay for it because um, I couldn't take it for our mom. She didn't have it. But the only thing I did have to... Oh, I'm sorry. The only thing I did have... Stop. Had to trade for it was me. And I didn't care about me, so it wasn't like I got all into it and it was... This beautiful room, it was like, okay, I'm trading you. I'm giving right. you like this. And I, I you know, I already had this neurological thing. So mm-hmm. it, it like shut everything off. So it wasn't like I was enjoying it. But at the end, I got as much marijuana or whatever weed that I wanted. So I just, it became tr- a trade. And then, and then, and then you got pregnant. Yes. And what was your thought process? Um. How old were you at this point? Eighteen. 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 I guess I really didn't have a thought process. My mother was like, "You're keeping it. That's not an option because." Of course. Like I said, she's very, 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 very spiritual. Um. Religious, spiritual. Um, so that wasn't an option. Did you um, did you feel aligned with what your mum was saying, or were you actually I don't want this? Like, what did you think? I didn't really. I didn't really think about it. I because I really didn't care. Okay. Okay. Um. And I really felt like I didn't matter anyway, so, you know, 
you know. Okay. It, it, I don't matter. None of this matters. It's just, that's, it's just the way it's, the life stinks and you can't, you keep living and life keeps stinking. And so. And literally that's, my, that was my, I mean, I wasn't like, or even when my son was born, I admit today, I love him unconditionally. When he was born, thank God for my mother, because she loved him mm-hmm. unconditionally. I, I kind of was there. Like, you know, yeah, got a son, uh, and. Right. I, I don't know how to. Did, did you ever feel as though your emotions had just disappeared? Like you, yeah, you, you're just a human body. Because I would say yes, because I would say I still struggle with that now. When um, my system gets overloaded, it just shuts, shuts down. down. I don't like. I don't get hyper hyper angry. Like, because my set, when it hits that point where I can't control it, it's just, I shut down. Mm. Just like, I go on autopilot, for lack of better words. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. So, and it's not really, it's, it's, it's not good. But, and, and I, when I now, when I notice it, I'm like, I fight to feel something. But for years, I just was okay with, it became how I survived. And um, so he told, he's deciding we're going to college. For my fact, he even found a college that was doing some kind of experimental program where they were taking young moms and they supported them and helped them get through school. <laughs> I mean, and, I mean, then he even went to the Goodwill and helped, bought me dishes and blankets and, Aww. you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> but if you wanted to do all that, by all means, you know. And um, I literally, like I said, spent very much of that time on autopilot. Just like, okay, that's nice, okay. Um, for my fact, I think I didn't really begin to wake up until I was a end of my sophomore year when the advi- my advisor had me in his office and he says, you know, Marlise, uh, we're going to need you to pick a program, okay? <laughs> You can't stay here forever. (laughs) This is four years, and then we're kicking you out. It'd be nice to give you a degree. (laughs) And I and I and it was like I woke up and said, "Oh my gosh, I'm in college." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and and it really, literally was. And then he said, and then I said, "Oh, I'm going to be a teacher only because Miss Black and." And they were teachers, and yeah. they did something. And it meant, when I had that flashback of sitting there, it was like, oh, I want to do And then he was like, no, nah, then you can do that. And I, you know, I was like, why? He said, because uh, something tells me, I'm going to be honest with you, you're, on, you're probably taking something. And he's right. I, at that point, I was... Smoking weed and drinking, and that's how I got up, and that's why I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "You can't do that and be a teacher. You know they're going to drug test you, and if you come back dirty, you won't get the job." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh well, this is what." And that was like that moment. He was like, "You're not," and I was like, "Oh yes, I will. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do." And he was like, "No, you you really you should try something else." And I was like, no. So he said, all right, if you want to waste your time, you can do that. And I literally, against my advisor's suggestion, started the teaching program and still, you know, drinking and getting out. And 
when I got to my, right before my senior year and we started doing the interviewing, because they do interviews on campus. Yeah. So right when I got to that point, I was like, okay, I, my, actually, the man that I'm married to now, I met in college and I just told him, you know what, I need your help. I'm not going to smoke anymore. So I need you to help me not do that. And when I go crazy, I need you to remind me why. And so now I teach. I've been teaching for 25 years. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's a lot of, there was a lot of up and downs. For a matter of fact, there was one point when he told me, you know, um, Lisa, you're crazy, and I can't take it anymore. And if we don't, if you don't get help, yeah, I'm gonna have to leave, and I'm gonna take our sons with me. And um, I started. I and for African Americans, we don't like go get therapy. We go to church. That's yeah. the <laughs> And so I started going. To, we went to church and. I met a wonderful pastor, and he started doing um, pastoral therapy with me. And today, like, through a whole bunch of stuff, um, you know, I'm definitely, it's not a, healing is not a destination. It's a process. So I'm just really far along in the process where I can actually give back and, help other people on the healing process because I know it's hard but it also now I'm at the point where I'm recognizing okay this is no longer healthy for me I need to set my own boundaries yeah so that's my story in like the abbreviated version I mean I'm still I'm I'm still really interested in how you go from sexual assault and abuse to feeling safe and loved in a relationship what what was your process of that or if there was a process or what's maybe the healing that you've had to do around that When I first got married, I don't know that it was what most people would consider um, like a loving relationship as more as it was a, I was in my, in need of someone, a protector Mm -hmm. who would I know, I knew would keep my best interest at heart and make all the decisions for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's not love. To me, what I've learned about love, that's not love. Love doesn't tell you basically when to get up, when to go to sleep, when, when to go <laughs> buy groceries, where to go buy groceries. That's not love. So I don't think I was looking at love. Um, I was looking at protection. Yeah. Um, when I look at my papa, um, I would say that was love. Um, and I call him my papa, and that's not his name. And he has passed, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was love. Um, and and I don't know where that. Where that space came from, mm. that I think there must have still somewhere through all the pain and all the hurt, been a place that, that needed to be loved and to love. Because he never told me I couldn't do anything. He, you know, he just was. He supported me, and I felt support. Mm. And genuine, and he never, I mean, demanded anything from me. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I recognized that and I latched onto it. I would say that's love. Um, and you felt safe? Uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't know it, even now. Um, I call him an angel when I talk about him because he, he was just that. Um, I think, I think when I met him, you know, when you, you, um, feel it, I hate intuitive, but when you just feel the, the goodness of someone, Mm -hmm. and I mean, he wasn't, and, and being honest, he wasn't just like that with me. I, he had a track team. And everyone, and he said, drag me out there. I hated running. And he would be like, yeah, you need to run. (laughs) But he was as kind with every single one of those kids as he was with me. Mm. Um, You could just, he, he had the kind of smile that would just warm you on the cold day. Literally, and I'm going to cry here because I haven't, because, oh, um, I haven't thought about He spent a lot of time thinking about him since he passed because it hurts too much. Um, But he is, he was just, he was just, when I say goodness, walking on earth, he was just really that goodness, and and I don't know. I wish I had an answer. Um, but he was able to sneak past all the horror. Although I never shared any of the pain, the trauma, the adversity, nothing with him. Um, that was not a place where we went we talked about yeah. it was just here and now um yeah he just I don't know I wish I knew <laughs> I, I, I wish I knew all right lovely I um thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing I know it's not easy to oh just to bring it all up again and Obviously, you've been <laughs> with writing your book and stuff. It's already been very yeah. much spoken about, but um, it's so wonderful to hear it from from you and to hear your journey as well and and see where you are now. You know, it's it's awesome. Um, so I've got a couple of last questions that I'd love to ask that I I ask every interviewee. Um, now. This can either be something that we've already spoken about or it can be something new, whichever way you want to go. Um, but I'd love to know what's one of the scariest things you've ever done. The scariest thing I've ever done was when I decided through a bunch of um, strange occurrences to help... Um, Project Woman fight for increased funding um, in the state of Ohio. One of the things that the first time I ever spoke, um, they asked me to go speak to com- not commissioners, um, state representatives for Ohio, and that was the scariest. And share my story. Um, that was the scariest thing I ever did. Um, because you just never know. You know, there was a voice in the back of my head saying, mm. they're not going to believe you. They're, you know, you won't be able to help. Why do you think you should make a difference? Um, you should shut up and move on. Um, so, yeah, that was the scariest thing I ever did, was open up my mouth and just tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And how did it go? Um, they got the funding. Um, for a matter of fact, uh, they, I went to several of the universities and 
several prisons as a result, and I became like the advocate of the year that year. Um, so it, it it was amazing, but it, it was scary. It, it, I, I was so scared. I was sweating <laughs> through my car. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, last question. What's the best bit of advice that you could give to our listeners? To understand that you, regardless of what you go through, you're still worthy. Your worthiness does not come from outside. It comes from within you. So... Always remind yourself, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're in, that you're worthy. You're worthy of a good life. You're worthy of the best that life has to offer. But it begins with you seeing yourself as being worthy. And what? Wait, when did you? Um, when did you figure that out, or when did you? When did you incorporate that into your life? It, it, it has been a process. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started Transformation Speaks, that was one step of me saying, you know, I'm, I'm worthy. I'm worthy of telling the story. I'm worthy of allowing my light to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I like began the healing process, it was me saying, I'm worthy of learning how to dance. That's my slogan, dance in the rain. Nice. When there's when it's pouring down raining, I wanna dance. Nice. I just go out in the rain and dance, no matter how hard it gets, just dance. Um I think you learn that in phases. Because you're going to keep having trials and you're going to keep having things that you have to surmount. And every time you get over a hurdle, it's like you telling yourself, I know I'm worthy. Mm. So there are still some things that I need to get over and accept that I need to change. Um, and I have to do that because I have to say I'm worthy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> and that was that. I, it's our, oh, I'm so sorry. That's all right. Worry about it. But yeah, I, I. It's like constantly just okay. This isn't working. Yeah. And it's not working for me. And I'm worth better than this. Yep. I love it. Oh, so many chills. So many chills. How do you how do you feel about talking about it all? Um it's got easier for you now. It reminds me this conversation reminds me of some hard choices I need to make. I'm being honest and because and it reminds me you made you've made it from that far. Mm-hmm. You can't stop now. Not just because it, it tells other people that they don't have to stop, but because I can't stop. For me, if I accept less than what I know is acceptable for me, then you know, it's not right. Why? You know, I just don't. So it's 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 good. It's good. It's a good reminder. It's a good. You know, it kind of inspires me to keep keep pushing. Keep keep. You haven't arrived yet, so keep pushing. <laughs> we never arrive, eh? No. Um, cool. Oh. Thank you so much. I can call you Lisa now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa, for um, for for coming on today and for being so vulnerable and sharing so 
openly um, really means a lot and uh, I'm so grateful to, to have you with us. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me and giving me an opportunity to make a difference. Mm, always. If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and head on over to itunes or your favorite podcast listener and give us a five star review don't forget to join our free facebook community called she's unshakable where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage resilience and belief in ourselves i look forward to meeting you in there